Well, good morning. I got to be honest with you guys. I've already gone through a range of emotions this morning. Like, man, you guys had me crying during worship just because when God's people praise him, man, it ah, just does something in my heart. And I love it. Man, I'm so excited and I'm just like so pumped with this youth team that has gone and just seeing what God has done there and in their hearts and their lives. And just the next generation that God is bringing up. Is it not exciting? Oh, it's so exciting. And we have a verse or a passage that is also very exciting this morning. If you want to turn to the book of Mark, the gospel written by Mark, um, in chapter 4, starting at verse 35. If you didn't know, we are in our series journeying through the book of Mark, looking at the remarkable life of Jesus. Um, Because, I mean, we could all use a little more Jesus in our lives, right? So... We are looking at a parable that you've probably heard before. That's when Jesus calms the storm. Now, we have have three different uh, accounts of this in Scripture, in Mark here, in Luke, and in Matthew as well. We're going to be looking at the Mark one specifically. So if you want to turn there, it's going to be also on the screens. Let's, Let's read the passage this morning. Mark 4, 35. That day, when evening came, he, this is Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The word of the Lord. So here we find Jesus in a boat. Now, if you remember from a few previous sermons ago, Jesus had got into a boat and backed away from the shore so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. And so, you know, then his voice could carry over, over the water to all the people that were around. So here, here he is. Jesus has been in a boat. He's been teaching um, pretty much, from my understanding, it seems like he's been teaching all day and interacting with these people. Man, wouldn't that be awesome just to like be sitting there and Jesus just teaching and you're there all day? Because, you know, he's not like preaching all day. You know that there's people asking questions. You know that there's moments where he like turns to his disciples and explains what he's talking about. Man, just to be a part of that and see that. Like the expressions on his face. Like, anyways, someday, one day, that will be glorious. But then Jesus decides, he says, let's, let's go across the sea. Let's go across the sea. Well, it's not a sea, it's actually a lake. Um, we call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's the lowest um, fresh water body Um, in the world at, oh, I looked it up. I can't remember how low it is, but it's pretty low. Um, And so Jesus says, let's cross over this to the other side. Now, I find it interesting that it's when evening came. So Jesus has been teaching all day, and he's like, all right, let's cross over to the other side. Like, at nighttime, let's just do a night trip, dudes. Now, I don't know exactly where they were on the other side of the lake, but it could have been anywhere from two to six hours of rowing. 
on a calm day to get across to the other side of the lake. So I'm like, hey, a late night row, maybe that was something that they did. I mean, we see that in other places where it's like the end of the day and Jesus is like, hey guys, let's cross over. So this wasn't something that was super weird or strange for them. So the lake is, just for reference, it's 21 kilometers long from top to bottom, 13 kilometers wide, and it's about 43 meters deep, um, or 141 feet for people that like that better. So there's this evening boat trip. So they're headed across the lake. And all of a sudden, there's this big storm that whips up. I like, if you look at it in different translations, it's interesting the different words that it talks about it, like a furious squall, a windstorm of great proportion. So, and, and to help get a little perspective on this, at least four of the disciples were experienced fishermen. Just keep that thought in the back of your mind as we look at this. Peter, Andrew, two brothers, and then James and John, two brothers. Um, so if they're freaking out over a storm, it's probably a pretty decent storm. But all the while this is going on, Jesus is sleeping in the boat on a cushion. I mean, I love that. He's sleeping on a cushion. Some translations even say it was a leather cushion. Luxury. Um, but I think this is something that's really important for us to take a moment and look at. Jesus was sleeping in a storm in probably not a huge boat. Um, in uh, 1986, a drought brought the water level in the, in the Sea of Galilee down to like super, super low, and it revealed this ancient boat stuck in the mud. So there was actually these two um, archaeologists, like two brothers, who have been like searching their entire life to find like an ancient first century boat. And so when the water, leather, water level sunk down so low, they're like, let's go and see if we can find one. And they found one. Anyway, so they, you know, found it and they did this crazy thing to get it out of the water and get it back without it completely disintegrating because it was dated to the first century. So this boat was about 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. And you could probably fit 13 to 15 people in this little boat. Um, you can look it up online if you want to look at it. They call it the Jesus boat. I mean, we don't know if Jesus actually sat in it, but it's something similar to what they would have had at the time. So they've got this, like, smallish boat. You know, it's probably pretty tight. Um, we have other stories where it says that they were all rowing, so they probably had oars. It might have had a sail. We're not 100% sure on that. But this boat, because there was probably 13 to 15 guys in it, it's probably also sitting fairly low in the water. Um, just that's how displacement works. So we think that all the disciples were probably there together. But Jesus is sleeping. And it says that the waves are like splashing over this boat and filling it up. And I'm like, did Jesus get splashed? I'm like, I don't think they had like a covering over him. But he's sleeping. Like, if, like I don't know about you, but like I've been on a boat a few times and there's just a little bit of waves and I get like a little spray and it's like, Whoo. You know, I want to like hide somewhere behind the glass or, or something because I'm like, ah, oh, it's cold. But Jesus is sleeping and this is going on. So what does that tell us? He was exhausted. Jesus was physically exhausted and done. 
After a whole day of teaching, of pouring himself out, of ministering to people, healing the sick, casting out demons, Jesus is pouring himself out. And as a human, because he was fully human, he was exhausted. I mean, I can attest to the fact that after preaching two services, I want to go home and take a nap. And that's just after two services, like just a couple hours, and I'm spent. This is Jesus spending the whole day. And so we know when he gets in this boat and the guys start like rowing and Jesus is like, hey, you're the fisherman, you're the experts, I'll just kind of chill back here. He's just like, (laughs) he's out. I mean, they even brought him a cushion. I know, that's great. Maybe they anticipated that. I don't know. But this, this shows us how human Jesus was, that he experienced what we experienced. Scripture teaches us he knows what it's like. He can relate to us. He experienced exhaustion, hunger, joy, anguish, sorrow, betrayal. We don't have someone who has no idea what it's like. He knows exactly what it's like. The full range of being human. He wept, he had compassion, he was tempted. He knows what it's like. I mean, and this is one of the reasons why I think he has so much compassion on us, because he knows. He's like, I know what it's like. Some people say, or have presented the idea that, well, maybe Jesus is just like pretending to sleep so that his disciples would have to figure out this whole situation and and yada, yada, yada. I think Jesus was genuinely conked out. He was sleeping. And this boat is now about to capsize, so you know he was in a deep sleep. But this wasn't just a little storm. How bad could this storm have been? Well, it's interesting. This is a little bit of geography for those of you who care. Being the lowest freshwater body on Earth, next to high mountain ranges, there is warm air and there is cold air. And so when we have cold air mixed with warm air, stuff happens. There you go. There's <laughs> very, very simple. Um, it creates sudden, violent weather. Now, I mean, I think from the text that we can, we, can, we can guess and infer that this is actually a pretty bad storm, just because of how the text describes it. A furious squall, a great windstorm, a ferocious storm. This isn't, this isn't a gentle breeze. And the fishermen disciples there, right, like they're freaking out about it. They're like, ooh, like, okay, so there's a little more sub- substantialness to this dangerous situation that they find them in. Um, but did you know that violent storms also occur there like currently, this isn't just back in Jesus' day. So on this year, May 14th, um, and into the early morning of May 15th, strong winds blew um, up to, well, they were blowing at 80 kilometers an hour and gusting up to 140 kilometers an hour, causing trees to go snap in half. And it caused, because there was high water level, it caused damage all across the shore um, in Tiberias. You can look it up. It caused... $50 million in damage is one storm. So we know that there can be very violent storms going on. So this is actually probably a very serious situation. It's not just a little bit of waves and their boat was leaky and old and they're like, oh, it's going to sink. No, this, this was actually probably pretty terrifying. I mean, 140 kilometers an hour, I don't care what hits you at 140 kilometers an hour. It's going to do something. Now, if you've got a boat... 
with 13 to 15 guys in it that's riding pretty low in the water, and you've got 140-kilometer-hour winds coming at you, you know that waves are going to be filling up faster than you can bail out. So these guys start freaking out. And I really wonder how long they let Jesus sleep. Like, what happened in the moments before they woke up Jesus? They're like, oh, this is getting pretty bad. He's still sleeping. Peter, come on, hurry up. He's still sleeping. Like, how long did they let it go? But I think what happened is they started to have what happens in any situation, people start saying things and it starts to kind of build this like, oh man, this is getting really bad. Yeah, this is getting really bad. Oh man, I've never seen one this bad before. Oh God, here comes a big wave. You know that this energy and like this fear kind of thing is starting to build up within the disciples. And then finally, at some point, someone wakes up Jesus. Now, if you look at the other two accounts of this story that we have, we have... um, a slight difference in what the disciples say, and I'll explain that in a moment, so I'll read it to you. We have um, the one from this passage, which is, teacher, don't you care if we drown? We have from Mark, or Matthew, Lord, save us, we're gonna die. Uh, and then master, master, we're gonna drown. So why, why is there a difference in all those? Well, I think it's all the disciples yelling out. This isn't just one guy, like, they're all standing in a corner being like, hey, you go wake him. Okay, and the one guy goes and wakes him up. No, this is where they were collectively scared, and they're like, okay, no, wake up, Jesus. And one guy's like, okay, Jesus, 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 and they're all kind of yelling, right? So, like, all these stories we have are given from different people's perspectives. So, depending on where you're sitting in the boat, you're going to hear one person yell something louder than the other person. But I would submit to you that the general thought and idea of all these things kind of comes from the same place of fear that they had. They were scared. They thought they were going to die. And they were afraid. And Jesus rebukes them for being afraid. He's like, why are you so afraid? And the word he uses there is actually cowardly. Why are you being so cowardly? Do you have no faith? But Jesus (laughs) wakes up. What's going on? You know, getting splashed. And he's like, oh, okay. Quiet, be still. And immediately... The wind stops and the waves stop. And it's, it says completely calm. It was completely calm, but not the disciples. Actually, they're more scared now because of what Jesus just did. They are now fear filled with fear. It says that they were terrified because of the calm weather. No, it's because of what Jesus did. Why were they so scared when Jesus calmed the storm? I'll explain it like this. The Jews believed and had this understanding collectively of a whole, and we'll read a couple passages that kind of uh, point to this, is that God was the only one who could control the weather. This was all throughout the first half of the Bible. Like, you read so much of it, and it talks about how God is the one who does this stuff. Um, We see passages like this one in Psalm 65. It says this, You answer our prayers by performing awesome acts of deliverance, O God, our Savior. All the ends of the earth trust in you, as well as those living across the wide seas. You created the mountains by your power and demonstrated your strength. You calm the raging seas 
and the roaring waves, as well as the commotion made by the nations. You visit the earth and give it rain and make it rich and fertile. This is all throughout their culture. This was embedded in their conversations. This was embedded in their thought. God is the one who controls the weather. He's the one who brings the rain when we need it or not. So now Jesus comes along. And, and they believed that he was someone special. Some of them may have at this point already believed he was the Messiah. Later on, we see that some of them attest to that. Um, some of them might have been like, okay, he's a great prophet. Um, you know, he's, he's got some authority of some level, but then he does this and reveals his identity, and to them it's on a whole nother level. I mean, this is a really horrible analogy, but the best way that I can explain it is like, oh, hey, I've got a little firecracker sitting beside me, and you turn, and it's not a firecracker, it's a nuclear bomb. That's what it was like for the disciples. They're like, okay, yeah, there's a little bit of power here, and it's like... This is beyond. And I mean, and Jesus' power is way more than a nuclear bomb, but not in a destructive way, but also like in a creative like, way in being able to sustain things or make things happen or things come into being and that kind of a thing. So this blows their mind to the whole next level of like the power of this guy that they're following around. And that's why they say they're scared and they're talking to themselves. Who is this guy? Like, seriously. I don't think it was like a, hmm, I wonder who this guy is. It was like, a, no, who is this guy? It's the kind of like, back up, you're not who I thought you were kind of situation. Jesus was not just a prophet who spoke for God, as they had seen in the Old Testament. No, he was the next level. He was God, the creator, in human form. And again, this is one of the main things that Mark wants to get across in his story is to ex explain and show us Jesus is the Son of God, to tell us who he truly is. So how does this apply to our lives? How do we, how do we take this story and, and kind of say, what in this is for, for us today? So is it, is it true that we can say, well, God will calm the storms in your life? Can we apply that to our situations? Well, I, I think we can, but I think we need to be careful with that. Because God will not always calm every storm in your life. Because sometimes his plan is to take you through the storm and give you the strength to go through the storm. Other times his plan might be that he's going to calm the storm. But sometimes it might be, you know what, I'm going to give you peace within the storm. A peace that goes beyond understanding. I don't know how you can have peace in that situation. Sometimes that's God's plan. Sometimes it might be to calm the storm. So if you have a storm in your life or a situation in your life that you're like, ah, this just feels so much, know that Jesus can calm the storm but he might be wanting to do something else as well. So just be open to that to see. But whatever the situation, whether he calms the storm or he doesn't calm the storm, our response should be the same. So I was thinking about this. 
What would have been the right response for the disciples? What, what response would have not had Jesus be like rebuking them? Well, were they not supposed to wake Jesus up? Were they supposed to just be like, keep rolling, guys, keep bailing, guys? You know, and then just the boat sinks. I mean, Jesus would have woken up eventually because he's like sleeping, you know. What's going on, guys? I don't know if just leaving Jesus would have been the best situation. I honestly think waking up Jesus was the right call. But I think there is a heart attitude that comes with the disciples is the reason why Jesus rebuked them. And let's look at that. This is, what, this is what they said to Jesus. They woke him up and they said, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care? What is underlying in all the statements of the disciples? It's fear and doubt that God cares for them. He doesn't care about our situation. He's sleeping in the back. You know that that started coming up when they were sitting there. They're like, this is getting really bad. And Jesus is still sleeping. Can you believe that? Like, why doesn't he, like, wake up and do something? I don't know. Don't you care, Jesus? We're going to drown. How many times has that been in my thoughts? God, don't you care? How many times has that come across your mind? Ah, God, do you even care? Have you found yourself asking God that question? I think Jesus, when he wakes up, he's like, do I even care? Seriously, guys? This is why he rebukes them. He's like, what have we spent all this time doing? Caring for people, healing the sick, casting out demons, teaching people how I want them to live. Bringing freedom. The whole reason I'm here is because I care. I think that's why he rebukes them. Do you still have no faith? Do you still not believe in who I am and what I am doing? The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. In other words, Jesus cares. In Matthew 6, 26, he's like, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but yet God feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? If he cares for the birds of the air that we're just kind of like, well, there's a big flock of birds, God cares for all those ones in there. If he cares for them, he cares for you much more. He cares about the storms in your life. He cares about the trials you're going through. He cares for you so deeply. I mean, we call that love. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. John 15, 13 says this, no greater love has anyone than this that he gives up his life for his friends. And I love the next part. Jesus says, I have called you friends. Because he's like, I'm giving up my life for you because I love you. There's no greater love than that. Jesus cares. He is invested in what happens in your life. And don't believe from the lie from the enemy that says, oh, he's not invested, he doesn't care, it doesn't matter what happens to you. That's not true. 
He cares every moment. He gives you breath and takes it back every moment. I say that's pretty invested. Do we believe? Do you believe that Jesus cares about you? About the things going on in your life? Yeah, you might think, oh, this is small, it's not a big deal. Jesus cares about it. So there's two things, two main things that I want just to remind us from out of this passage. Number one is that Jesus is the Son of God. And he has power greater than we can understand. I mean, the disciples realize that. And the other thing is that he cares. And if someone who has that much power cares that much about you, just think what he can do in your life when we turn to him. So for the disciples, what might have been the right response was just, Jesus! But they came to him in the heart of like, you don't care about us, we're going to die, we're going to die, like what are you doing, sleeping? But it's like, no, Jesus, we're putting our faith in you, not being angry at you or upset or disappointed or believing the lies. Because Jesus cares. So if you ever have that thought, does God even care? Think about this story. Think about what Jesus did on the cross for you to show how much he does care about your life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you are so great and your ways are so beyond our ways. God, we thank you so much that that you care You loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus. And he loved us so much that he laid down his life. God, I pray that we would take that step of faith to trust in you, no matter what the storm is that's happening in our life, to trust in you that you do care about what's going on. And whether you want to take us through the storm or whether you want to calm the storm, God, we put that into your hands and we trust you. For you are good. I pray this in the name of Jesus.